Well, I recently actually got back into town. My husband and I, we were in Switzerland just until a couple weeks ago, and uh, man, it was amazing. It was the first time for both of us to be in Switzerland, and it, it quickly became one of our favorite trips. It was phenomenal. I, I, uh, for most of the trip, we actually spent time in a small village that's about an hour drive away from the city of Bern, and there, the landscape, the scenery, I mean, I gotta tell you, it was breathtaking. The Swiss countryside, there's nothing like it. I felt like this woman for most of the trip. I, I think we have something to show you of what, what I felt like at this moment. Yes, I felt like Julie Andrews from Sound of Music. And, and uh, I, I often found myself looking around at the scenery and I just wanted to like bust out in song, like the hills are alive with the sound of music. And I know some of you are listening to this and you're going, um, really? Is that supposed to be Julie Andrews from Sound of Music? Because the lyrics are the same, but nothing else. Okay, you get my point, though. It was amazing. And one afternoon, we decided to rent e-bikes. Friends of ours, they rented them for us. And we were going to take a ride throughout the countryside. And we were going to be able to just see everything. There's this beautiful view that we were going to get to the top of the hills to be able to see everything around us. And um, if you're unfamiliar with e-bikes, i got to tell you a couple things. First, they're amazing. They're awesome because basically they operate on battery power so you can decide what mode, what speed, and what gear you want to be in. And it really pretty much makes a ride smooth and easy. Now, if you're unfamiliar with me, for the sake of this story, it is worth saying that, uh, you know, I would kind of say that I have a pretty standard IQ in certain areas. I would definitely qualify myself as intelligent. But when it comes to common sense, sometimes not so much. And when it comes to coordination, again, sometimes it's a bit of a gamble. So it took me a minute to find my bearing on these e-bikes. But once we got going, it was phenomenal. And as we were riding around the village and outside of the village, we were riding actually along a stream. And the weather was perfect and the air was so clear. And it was, it was all the sights that we could take in at one time. Honestly, all of them were amazing. We were making new memories. We were laughing together. And I was just taking in and having a great time. Except for one thing, there was, there was one challenge that I was running into. I was finding it really hard to keep up with the rest of the group. Like, like I, I was pedaling so fast and exerting so much energy to keep up with them. And I kind of chalked it up to like, I thought, you know what, I haven't worked out throughout the whole you know, time I've been in Switzerland, hashtag you know, vacation, and uh, I haven't really ridden a bike much in my adult years. So I kind of just said, okay, I'm a little rusty. I need some more cardio in my life. And let's be real, I'm not as young as I used to be. But after about 20 minutes of riding, one of my friends just graciously kind of slowed down and pedaled beside me. And she said, um, uh, I, I noticed that you're pedaling a lot. <laughs> Would you mind telling me what mode your bike is on? Which the subtext for this is basically, um, hey, uh, crazy lady, I hear you huffing and puffing behind all of us trying to keep up. Uh, you probably don't even have your bike on, you dumb dumb. Like, seriously. So I, I, I looked down at my bike, and I realized in that moment, yeah, I didn't even have the thing turned on, let alone in the right gear, let alone in the right speed. So within 15 seconds, she informed me on how to get the bike turned on, how to actually get to the right gear, the right speed, and immediately the ride felt different. It went from being something that was exhausting to now something that was pleasant, something that was a struggle for me to now something that was an easy, smooth ride. Yeah, leave it to me to not turn on an e-bike. Lesson learned. 
But I look back at that experience and I gotta admit, unfortunately, it's not the only time that I felt like I was somehow like struggling to try to keep up with those around me because I didn't have the right instructions. I didn't have the right knowledge. And I think we can all relate to that at some moment in our lives. You know, maybe we get the new job, the new promotion, and we don't get much training, but we get thrown into the deep end and we find ourselves struggling to try to perform well. Or, or maybe the relationship gets serious and we're realizing, oh, Relationships take more work than we thought that they would. And so now we're trying to find every relationship book that we can. And we're trying to prioritize time with couples that we like and admire. You know, maybe we have the baby. And when we're pregnant, we are reading up on every book on pregnancy and we're deciding on the baby name and we're prepping for the nursery and we're going to our weekly checkups. But then we get dismissed from the hospital and we have this little human in our hands and now we're going, yikes. Now what, right? And if we're really honest, I could say that sometimes we feel this way in our faith. Like there are moments when we feel like we're struggling in our faith, but the people around us just, they seem to be moving at a different pace. Maybe there's friends around you, believers who are saying things like, man, God's really been speaking to me recently or the Holy Spirit led me to do this and the results were extraordinary. And here you are thinking, I don't even know if God's speaking to me right now and, and I want a miracle to happen in my daily life, but I don't even know how to make that happen. Or maybe, maybe you find yourself struggling to have faith and there's somebody near you that is just exercising extraordinary, phenomenal, great faith in the midst of adversity. And here you are and you're like, man, I, I'm just wanting to overcome the worry or the anxiety or the fear. I wanna have that kind of faith, but it seems so far from where I am. And when we find ourselves trying to pedal faster to just keep up with, with faith, with, with overcoming, with understanding what it means to walk in the authority that God has given us as believers. The longer we pedal, the more I believe that our tendency is, is to look inward, to, to start to dismiss the kind of relationship with God that we could have, the kind of breakthrough we could experience, the kind of faith we could exercise. We begin to say things like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just not as spiritually strong as those people around me. <laughs> I, 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 I just don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm always gonna be somebody who worries. I'm always gonna have to deal with this. I'm always gonna struggle with this. It's always gonna be a little bit harder for me or, or maybe I just gotta try harder and keep trying harder and someday something will click and it'll make sense or maybe I'm just not as good as a believer as some of the other people in my community group or my friends and my family. But before we just wave the white flag and resign ourselves to struggling in our faith, Perhaps what we need is just someone to come alongside us and say, hey, let me take a look. Hey, let me show you something. Let me instruct you. Let me teach you. Let me give you some knowledge. And in Luke chapter 11, that's exactly what happens with the disciples and Jesus. The disciples were seeing Jesus and seeing a specific area of his life. They were following Jesus. They were following his life and his ministry. They were learning from him, but there was one specific area that they could tell that where they were struggling, Jesus had a completely different stride, a completely different pace. And so they asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, we, we, we wanna learn from you, teach us. And in Luke chapter 11, verse one, this is where the interaction begins to unfold. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
teach us to pray. In other words, the disciples were saying, Jesus, there's something different about the way you pray. Like you have a different kind of connection with God the Father. A lot of people pray, but you get different results. Now I find it fascinating that of all the things that they could have asked Jesus to teach them, they decided to ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. I mean, think about this. This is Jesus we're talking about. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the one who walks on water, calms storms, multiplies food to feed thousands, heals the sick, casts out demons, teaches in such a way that it astonishes the crowds, leads in such a way that his followers experience radical transformation and give radical devotion in return. He resurrects the dead to life. And yet of all of these things, the disciples say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Not Jesus, teach us to preach, teach us to wow crowds, teach us to heal the sick, cast out demons, resurrect the dead. Hello, that'd be really cool. No, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. It's as if they knew something about the way Jesus prayed that might be lost on us. Friends, they knew that for Jesus, prayer wasn't just a topic to give in a sermon every now and again, but that prayer was a regular rhythm of his life. Jesus was devoted to prayer. And because he was devoted to prayer, we see the amazing, miraculous ministry that he had. I mean, look at what the gospels have to say about Jesus and his prayer life. In Luke chapter 3, 21 through 22, when Jesus begins his public ministry, the very first moment that he goes public with the good news, it says that he prayed. Since Jesus was baptized and as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. The Bible often talks about how Jesus prayed. The Gospels in Mark 6, 46, it says he left for the mountain to what? Pray. Luke 6, 12 says he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Mark 1, 35 says that he went away to a secluded place and what was he doing? He was praying there. And in case we're wondering, okay, well, there's a lot of things that are included in the Gospels. Maybe these were just a few that were mentioned, few moments when Jesus was praying, but he did a whole lot of other things. Well, Luke 5, 16 goes out of its way to say, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. This was not just a, a, a kind of thing that he did. This wasn't just a part of a lot of things that he did. No, it was an ongoing rhythm in his life. Jesus was so known for prayer that parents would bring their children to Jesus and the thing that they wanted Jesus to do most for them was simply to have him pray for their children. Matthew 19, 13 says that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And Jesus, before he's arrested, betrayed, arrested, and crucified on the cross, his final moments with his disciples, what does he decide to do? Yeah, you guessed it, pray. Matthew 26, 36 says, sit here while I go over there and pray. Even on the cross, get this, even on the cross, what is Jesus found doing? Praying. Luke 24, 34 says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And often Jesus's miracles were linked to prayer. In fact, in Mark chapter nine, 
there's a boy that's brought to his disciples, Jesus' disciples, and they try to heal him and they're unable to. Jesus then steps in and he casts out the demon that this boy was possessed by. And so after this event takes place, the disciples take Jesus aside and they ask Jesus privately, why couldn't we drive out that demon? And Jesus' response in Mark 9, 29, this kind can come out only by prayer. Friends, the disciples understood that Jesus wasn't just teaching about prayer, but he showed in the way that he lived his life how powerful prayer is. For Jesus, prayer was the backbone of his ministry, of his mission, of his power. No wonder the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And perhaps, perhaps more than ever, that's what we need to be asking as well. You know, in the midst of the events taking place in our world right now, taking place in our cities and our communities and our neighborhoods, where words like pandemic are being used, where there's ongoing updates, news updates, like every few minutes on our phone telling us the latest, and it's filled with anxiety and fear and panic. Perhaps more than ever, what we need to ask Jesus is Jesus teach us how to pray. Teach us how to have a greater intimacy with God the Father. Teach us how to move mountains with our prayer. Teach us how to grow in faith and hope and love simply by the way that we pray. There's power in prayer. Jesus models this with his life and he calls us to a life of prayer. R.A. Torrey says this, when the devil sees a man or woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. F.B. Meyer said this, The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. And so friends, with the time that we have this morning, I want us to explore Jesus' response to the disciples' request, how he taught them to pray, and, and how he still instructs us and calls us to a devotion of prayer and teaches us how, how to have greater connection and communication with God, and how to experience breakthrough and hope, even in the midst of trying times. Now, there's a lot we could cover here, but I'm only going to mention for the sake of time just a few lessons and we can begin first by reading Luke chapter 11 and see Jesus' response, how he instructs and models prayer for each and every one of us. Starting in verse 2, Jesus said, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Well, lesson number one that we can learn from Jesus when we unpack what we just read is this. Know who you are talking to. Notice how Jesus begins to show them how to pray. He starts with one word. It's an address. It's a title. Father. Now, in Jesus' time, this would have been a radical thought. God was the creator. He was the lawgiver. He was the great I am. He was Jehovah. He was Lord Almighty, he was the final judge. But to call him Father, that implied not only something about God, it implied something about yourself. It was implying that you had a greater intimacy and connection 
with God that went way beyond that of creation and creator. It was saying, I am a child of God. My father is God Almighty, the holy, perfect, all-loving one. This is radical. But because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did on the cross, when perfection took the price, paid the penalty of our imperfections on the cross. He bridged the great divide that exists between us and God. And so now we get to call ourselves. Now we get to live in the reality. Now it is true for us. We are children of God. Listen to what Romans 8, 14 through 16 says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Listen to what Galatians 4, 6 through 7 says. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who cries out, who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. These are powerful words. They're powerful only if we choose to believe them. If we choose to truly believe that God is our father. And he's not just any kind of father, by the way. We've all had our different experiences with our earthly fathers, from great to really horrible and everything in between. No, no, no. He's not just an everyday father. He, he's not just a pretty good father. Friends, I don't know what your experience has been like with your earthly father. And I want to take a minute to encourage some hearts here. Maybe when you hear the word heavenly father, it's hard for you to make a connection. Because when you think of father, you think of abandonment, you think of rejection. You think of addiction, you think of abuse, you think of overcritical, you think of judgmental, you think of distance, you think of gap, you think of divide. But friends, I want you to truly believe here based on what we read, the truth that we just read, that God is not just an okay father. He's a good father. He's a perfect father. And that he loves you completely. When you believe that, oh, when we believe that, when we really believe that, it changes everything about the way we pray. It changes not only the frequency in which we pray, but it changes the very approach we have towards God. John Eldridge, he, he actually wrote about this in his book, Moving Mountains. I want to read an excerpt here because it's so beautifully and poignantly written. He says this, just as we have to be careful to keep in mind exactly who it is we are praying to, what our images of God actually are, it is equally important to keep clear who we are in this process. Who are you to God? What is your relationship to the one to whom you pray? How do you conceive of it? Set aside your doctrine for a moment. What is your heart's settled assurance on the matter? Yes, yes, we've all heard that we are God's children. We are sons and daughters. The curse of familiarity with the words has dulled us to the staggering truth they contain. The reality of it has not permeated our hearts, not deeply enough. We still act and pray like orphans or slaves. You see, a slave feels reluctant to pray. They feel they have no right to ask, and so their prayers are modest and respectful. They spend more time asking forgiveness than they do praying for abundance. 
They view the relationship with reverence maybe more like fear, but not with the tenderness of love, of being loved. There is no intimacy in the language or their feelings. Sanctified unworthiness colors their view of prayer. These are often good servants of the Lord. Now orphans, an orphan is not reluctant to pray. They feel desperate, but their prayers feel more like begging than anything else. Orphans feel a great chasm between themselves and the one to whom they speak. Abundance is a foreign concept. A poverty mentality permeates their prayer lives. They ask for scraps, they expect scraps but not sons and daughters. Sons and daughters know who they are. Do you know who you really are? Do you know how God sees you? Do you know how God views you? Do you know how God relates to you? When you know that you are a son of God, when you know that you're a daughter of God, it changes everything about the way you pray. It opens your heart to a greater intimacy and connection with God. It breeds hope and assurance and faith, and it causes you to overcome regardless of the circumstances. Perhaps some great indicators for us as to whether or not we are actually praying from a place of sonship and daughtership, or perhaps more like an orphan or a slave, is a couple questions we could ask ourselves, maybe indicators here. Let me ask you this, and we can ask, I'll ask myself as well in this process. When you pray, are you open and honest? Or are there certain areas of your life that you try to keep off limits from God? Here's another indicator. <clears throat> when you pray, are you growing in your understanding of the love of God? Or are you just going through the motions? And when you pray, do you ask big or are you just hoping for scraps? Friends, let's live in the reality that we are children of God. Let's know who we are and who we are talking to. And in the process, let's believe big, hope for big, dream for big, and see our prayers answered. Lesson number one. Lesson number two. This is interesting. As we see the prayer progress, it goes from Father to the very next words, hallowed be your name. Lesson number two, check your motives. <clears throat> There's a certain posture that Jesus makes really clear when we pray. Father, and the very next thing is, hallowed be your name. In other words, there's a posture that should accompany our prayer. And it's one of worship, it's one of praise, it's one of saying, God, you be glorified in our lives. The spotlight is not on us. The spotlight is on God. Now, this posture is both refreshing and let's be real, a little bit challenging because we live in a time and an age where man, we really seek to glorify our image and, and we live by self-promotion. I mean, there used to be a day and age when we associated success with hard work and opportunity. And then let's be real, there was an era in history where it was that plus kind of who you know. But nowadays, so much of success is determined by how we appear, or at least that's what we're told. Hence the highlight reels that we continue to see on Instagram when we scroll. Hence the 
money-making career that now exists to be an influencer. Hence the anti-aging global market that is estimated to be worth 271 billion US dollars by the year 2024. Yeah, it's pretty safe to say that our society and culture really does glorify image. And so when Jesus says, hey, when you pray, know that you're talking to your God, who is your father, and also make sure to right away give him glory. This is radical and necessary. Because let's be real, if we're driven simply by our own sense of image, when we make the focus all about us, come on, and we've all been there, let's be real about the effects over time. Yeah, we might get the achievements. Yeah, we might get the followers. Yeah, we might get the applause, but we also get a whole lot of what? Loneliness and isolation and depression and jealousy and insecurity and greed and selfishness. It leads us down a self-destructive path. So when Jesus says, hey, say hallowed be your name. It's not because God needs us to glorify him. Although he doesn't need us to stroke his ego. It's because we need to glorify him. We need that posture of humility and worship and praise. We need to say, God, you be glorified. Make your name great. It's not all about me. It's about you. It's about who you are. It's about your faithfulness. It's about your goodness. We need this because it keeps our hearts pure and it keeps our lives, lives of meaning and purpose. Psalm 115.1 gets it right. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. I wanna challenge each of us this coming week, when we pray every day, to take some time before we begin asking for what we need and getting on to the busyness of our day, let's take a moment to praise and worship God to say, hallowed be your name, O God. To say, thank you, God, for all that you've done in my life. To praise him for who he is, to declare that his name is greater, greater than any concern, greater than any worry, greater than any stress. And I wanna challenge us to do this before we read the news, before we check Instagram. That could be through us just saying out loud in our prayers, or it could be us, I don't know, just turning on a, a, a worship playlist on Spotify and listening and singing along to one of the songs. You can sing loudly and off key, don't worry, it doesn't matter, I would know, I do it all the time. My husband might not have the same opinion because we share the same house, but I'm telling you, it will bless God. But make sure that we take time to praise him, to glorify him. We check our motives when we do this. We keep our hearts pure and our posture towards God is one that says, God, we actually want your name to be great and not just our own name. I wonder how many miracles are waiting to happen that would begin to happen in our lives if we just stopped needing to get the credit. I, I wonder what kind of breakthroughs would happen in our prayers if we really just said, you know what, my name doesn't need to be mentioned in the credits. Like it really is all about you. May we learn from Psalm 115. May we take this lesson to heart and be a people who know how to glorify our God day in and day out. Lesson number three, expect heaven to invade earth. Listen to how this prayer continues to progress. Your kingdom come. Now, Matthew 6:10, which 
tells the same story of Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray, actually includes this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, otherwise known as the Our Father. I don't know if this is something that you've read a lot or you're very accustomed to. I know for me, I grew up attending a Catholic grade school, and so every day I would recite these words, but it wasn't until years later that I realized how revolutionary they actually are. Because basically, Jesus is telling the disciples, he's telling them, hey, when you pray, I want you to pray with this mindset, if it could happen in heaven, that it can happen here too. That's radical. That is forcing us as followers of Jesus to see beyond the limitations of our circumstances and to look to the eternal for how to pray. I think it'd do us good to think more about heaven often, to, to think about what awaits us and to think about what it looks like to have God completely worshiped and complete rule and reign. So let's think about heaven for a second. In heaven, there is no lack. In heaven, there is no sorrow. In heaven, there is no sin. In heaven, there is no sickness, hello? In heaven, there is no shame. In heaven, there is no depression. In heaven, there is no addiction. In heaven, there is no racism. In heaven, there is no injustice. And Jesus is saying, hey, if it's possible in heaven, pray for it to happen here on earth. Whoa. The limitations that we sometimes place on what we could hope for, what we could believe for now are blown away. Jesus says, have the audacity in your faith to pray that if it's possible in heaven, it could be possible here as well. You know, Mark chapter 9, earlier we read about Jesus healing a boy that the disciples were unable to heal. But if we take a few verses back and we read more of that story, we see that the father and the son, the son who currently is, is plagued by demon possession, is brought before Jesus and the father says to Jesus, Jesus, if you can do anything to help, please help. And Jesus's response in 23 is astonishing. He says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the, bother, uh, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And immediately Jesus frees that boy from demon possession and he's healed. But I love that phrase that Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believes. It's like it's an invitation to say, hey, don't just pray, believe. Believe great, believe beyond the limitations that you're seeing and experiencing right now. Think beyond your circumstances, what exists in heaven can exist here. Pray for it, expect for it, pray and believe. Now, to be clear, I'm not offering easy answers here on this topic. I don't know why one person prays for a family member to be healed of cancer and that person passes away and then somebody else receives healing. I don't know why when we pray for certain people in our world to come to know Christ that some people, they experience the gospel and transformation right away and others it seems like it takes decades before they're even open to a conversation. I don't offer easy answers here. But I do know that for every unanswered prayer that I've experienced, I've also at the same time experienced the goodness of God. And that in my own life, I have seen and experienced God do the impossible time and time again. And perhaps the greatest act of defiance our faith could ever flex is simply choosing to pray and believe even in the face of past unanswered prayers and open-ended questions.
And for some of us right now who are listening to this and saying, you know what? It is a real struggle for me to believe right now. I wanna believe. I wanna pray for more than scraps in my life. I wanna be able to say with confidence in that prayer, give us this day our daily bread and know that God will provide, but I'm struggling in unbelief. Well, friends, we can take a cue from the Father and Son in this passage. And the Father says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. We can cry out to God and say, help us. And Jesus was so good to that man in Mark chapter nine. He showed his faithfulness and he showed his power and he showed the full extent of his love when he healed his son. And I believe that as we open up to God about the places of unbelief that exist, that Jesus will continue to be so good to us and he will show us his faithfulness, his power and his love at work in our lives. And finally, last lesson today from Jesus. Let God take the lead. In verse four of Luke 11, Jesus ends the prayer by saying, and lead us not into temptation. He's saying, hey, make sure that you invite God to take the lead, to help you and guide you so that you avoid the dead ends of wrongdoing, of confusion, of heartbreak. Let God take the lead. You know, I, I recently was in Switzerland and for the last couple days of the trip, my husband and I spent some time in Geneva. We'd never been there before. It's a beautiful city. There's so much to explore. Not one time did we get lost. In fact, we saw so many extraordinary things in the time that we were there. We really maximized the time that we had well. And we left with a deep love for this city. But the only reason that we didn't get lost and the only reason that we had the experience that we had is because we had a great guide with us. We had a friend who had lived in Geneva for the last three years and he told us where to go and he showed us the parts of town that we knew that would be really interesting for us. And he'd say, hey, don't turn on down this street, but go ahead and turn down that street. You're really gonna love it. He told us about restaurants and museums and different shops and different areas because what was new to us was not new to our friend. And friends, you gotta know that when you wake up in the morning, come on, we all wake up and we have a to-do list. We have errands, we have things we gotta get done. We have responsibilities, we have stresses, we have meetings, we have problems to solve. That they might feel new to us, but they are not new to God. He already knows our day before we begin it. And He has the wisdom that we need. He has the strength we need. He has the inspiration that we need. He has the encouragement that we need. He's a great guide, the best guide there is. And when we pray with this posture of saying, God, take the lead, the Holy Spirit will guide us throughout the day. And we'll begin to discover that, you know what? We knew what to say in that meeting. And we knew how to respond in faith. And we knew how to see that person and show them kindness. We'll begin to see miracles start to pop up in our lives. The extraordinary, God at work, simply because we began to pray, God, take the lead. I wanna challenge us as we end our time here in the Word, let's be a people who pray. In the midst of the times that we're living in, let's be a people who pray. Let's not turn prayer into just another thing Christians do or a last ditch effort. What would happen 
if we became devoted to prayer. The great thing about prayer is it doesn't have to be everlasting to be eternal. It doesn't have to be about the quantity of time. It simply could be the quality. What if you began each day this week or found some time each day this week, 15, 10, even five minutes to begin just a rhythm of prayer and to begin to pray how Jesus teaches us, to know that you're praying to God the Father, to know that he is for you, to have a posture of worship before him, to pray big prayers, expecting heaven to invade earth and to let him take the lead. As we do, I believe that we will receive the hope, the peace, the faith, the love that we yearn for. And God will begin to use our everyday lives more than ever to bring him glory, to make a difference right where we are. I wanna pray for us very quickly and I wanna pray for two groups of people here. I wanna pray first for those who might be watching and throughout this message, you just have this sense like, you know what, this is great. This service has been great, but I feel so far from God right now. Maybe at one time you made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe at one time you had a faith that felt real and alive, but life has happened and now you find yourself saying, I'm far from God. Or maybe you've never made a decision to place your faith in Jesus. Well, today's your day, friend. I wanna lead you in a prayer where you can get your heart right with God, that you could truly let God take the lead in your life, that you could open your heart to His love and that you could place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and know, and know that your eternity is secure. Know that God loves you and begin to discover the plans and the purposes that He has for your life. So if that's you, I wanna lead us in a prayer. I wanna lead you in a prayer. So just. Pray these words with me and mix your faith with them. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you offer eternal life. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead for me and that you love me. And so today I place my faith in you. I ask that you'd forgive me of sin, that you would lead and guide my life, that you'd show me how loved I am by God and that you would reveal your plans to me. I'm a follower of you from this day forward. Lead and guide my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And very quickly, I wanna pray for all of us. For those of you who did just pray that prayer before I pray for all of us, I wanna let you know that we are for you. We're excited about the decision that you just made. And so we wanna encourage you with a couple of things. We want you to let us know, let us know that you made that decision online. We're gonna be praying for you. We actually have some resources to give you to help you grow your faith in God and continue to take steps forward in following Jesus. More than anything, we're excited for you and we wanna celebrate with you. And I wanna pray for all of us right now. I wanna pray a prayer of blessing. I want us to apply everything that we just learned from Jesus and how we pray right now. And my hope is that at the end of this prayer and the end of this time, that our hearts and our minds would be fueled by faith and not fear, by hope and not discouragement, by wisdom and not confusion, that we would experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit right where we are in our homes, wherever we're watching this, that we would sense that God is working on our behalf, that we would sense His presence and that we would leave different than when we began watching the service and joining. Thank you, Jesus that you are for us. 
Thank you that you teach us to pray our Father. So right now we cry out to you, God, and we declare that we are your children and that you are good. And so we ask, oh God, that heaven would invade earth. We pray that wherever there might be anxiety, that you would replace it with your perfect peace. Wherever fear might be calling the shots and worry right now in our lives, that instead we would choose, God, to place faith in you. Help us overcome unbelief. May you strengthen us. May we have a hope welling up inside of us right now that isn't circumstantial, but that is you, Jesus, at work in our lives. I pray that you would give us opportunity to be good to those around us, to do good, to, to speak words of life right now, to speak words of encouragement, to help our neighbors right now. May we make a difference in the times that we're living in and draw people to you. I pray that you would make a way in situations right now where things are really tough. God, we're praying heaven invade earth, that you would make a way and that your perfect will would be done and that you would receive all the glory, that you would receive all the worship in our lives. We turn to you, God, and we say, take the lead in our lives today and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen.